So welcome to the, I always forget, fifth, sixth episode of uh, Curse With Good Ideas, the podcast where we talk about random stuff from around the globe. Um, and today we, we this is a pretty uh, special episode because we're recording half of this in a studio, in a secret studio, in a secret location in Australia and the rest of it. Uh, I'm Gabriel, as usual, and I'm in Taiwan. And uh, who else is here today? I'm Josh, and I'm in Canada. Um, I'm Tito in Australia. Okay. And my, my name is John in Australia. All right. Um, Dino, as usual. So uh, I guess you guys are the guests today. Maybe Dino is, is our mediating guest. Um, can you Could you introduce who, who we're going to be talking with uh, in some terms? So... We're talking to... Well, I don't know how do you want me to introduce you. Well, we might have some beep <laughs> terms, but it's all right. Just... Like, how do you want to I introduce can, yourself? Shall I introduce myself? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is John. I come from the field of anthropology. And I'm also these days moving towards um, what's known as creative writing. I'm trying to put together some vignettes, some fiction which I hadn't done before for more than five minutes in the past. So it's a very new endeavor for me. And uh, I think I'll pass it on to Tito now. Yeah, um, I'm Tito. I, well, I started as a, as, a, as a creative writer. I used to write scripts for theater, and then I used uh, to act. And then I became a journalist, and uh, I was a journalist for about, I don't know, 12 or 15 years, and now I'm tr trying to be an academic. Oh, so the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other way around. we have a yeah, double bind. So I, I'm just curious when you say you, uh, I mean, I'm talking to John, when you say yeah. you're an anthropologist and you're trying creative writing, something you didn't do for more than five minutes before. It, yes. Is that, you mean, uh, in anthropological writing, there is very little of what you now do as creative writing? Or was it your choice? Well, I, should, I suppose I should have specified uh, fiction, that I'd never done much mm. fiction. I tried when I was a lot younger for about uh, a day or two and gave up. I thought it was very difficult. And now I've just turned 18 as, a, as an academic in the sense that I finished my PhD 18 years ago so it's it's a it's a the sort of age it's a coming of age where you start thinking well do I want to do this for the next 18 years 28 years do I want to keep going in this uh, relentless way churning out publications sure. so I thought I'm, why not take a take a one year break one or two year break and try some fiction um, perhaps not all the time but uh, See, see how it goes. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I've been doing it for three months now or so. And um, I'm really enjoying um, experimenting with um, made-up things. You can actually make things up. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Is it, what, what, what kind of, what, what degree of fiction is it? Is it like 100% novel or, or uh, science fiction? I don't know. Or is it something uh, that's closer to it, social science but with a fictional element? I don't really want to define the genre beforehand because... I, it's still very early days. Mm. Uh, so far, it was going to be loosely based on my own experience of moving from one country to, to another, adopting a new cultural identity. But now, more and more, it's moving towards uh, a truly fictional story, and it's becoming a very weird cross between a romantic comedy and a spy thriller, which I certainly right. didn't anticipate. Uh, does it have any connect? Like, how do are you grounding this on any experience you had? Uh, I mean, you know, like as, well, a, as the, a ethnographer, a spy. Yeah, well, the starting point was having to leave my country of origin. I won't go into uh, sure. too many details. I don't want to give away the the whole plot, but uh, it starts with me having to leave my country of origin mm. and moving to another country, uh, to the UK specifically, and having to adopt a completely new name and cultural identity. Uh, so, so that's how it starts. And I thought it would r roughly follow my life course, but it's turning out to be quite different because as soon as you start introducing characters who are quite different from people you ha you've actually met in real life mm -hmm. and those characters interact with your alter ego, 
then the, it takes you in different different directions. So it's uh, it's still a first person. It's it's told in the third person, okay. But it very much follows my alter ego for now, for at least for the, for the time being. And it's to a certain degree, it's autobiographical. I mean, not autobiographical, but inspired by things you went through. Yes, it's inspired. It's inspired by various things that have happened to me in different countries, and this character. I guess he will have some anthropological expertise. He's a, he's a bit of a dropout. He's a university dropout, but he's interested in anthropology and other subjects, and he uses that knowledge to as a sort of hobby. And then one or two of the intelligence agencies take an interest in this self-taught expertise. Right. Um, and how how... Do you think you're going to publish this, or is it going to be part of an then reintegrated in uh, more academic writing? Is it like an experiment? Obviously, no, no. I'm hoping it will have no academic dimension. I'm trying not to combine it with anything okay. ethnographic. I'm trying to be as unethnographic as I can. Great. <laughs> I've had enough ethnography. Nothing against ethnography, <laughs> but after you've done it for two decades or so. Sometimes you need a break. Yeah, that's curious because I mean I, I heard many times um, literature and fiction and being praised by academics as something in which you're able to you know still tell the truth even by working through fictional elements or be ethnographic even if you're writing fiction. But then you you seem to be going the other way around and using it as a way of living academic writing. Uh, I think so. I think in my case it's a form of escape. The fantasy would be a, a great escape to be able to leave and not come back. Right. Uh, but I can see that in, in one or two years I'll be coming back to academia uh, with a vengeance. I, I've tried <laughs> to leave academia several times, but they always trap me again. I always come back. <laughs> It drags you back. It drags me back. You've got to pay the bills. Sure. Uh, and what else would you do? If you're not going to be a successful novelist, you have to do something. Yeah, sure. Is Don't it... use my real name. No, that's all right. <laughs> it's all beeped. All right. Do you think it's Can e I just add that uh, yeah, 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 it's sure, highly please. problematic for yeah. me because um, at the in. moment I'm trying to learn as much as I can about ethnography from John. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now, now listen, uh, hearing all this, I'm sort of like, oh, what's, what's going to happen time, to my career Your now? timing was a bit iffy, I must say. This is a bad timing. No, it is, I think it's a very interesting time. Did you want to jump in? Or was somebody wanted to Yeah, jump I was just going to say, I think there's lots of ethnographers who have written novels quite successfully. Yeah. Examples? Are, are, are there? <laughs> By the way, this is Jonathan. I think it just jumped in. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Are you in f Hi, uh, Are you in Australia as well right now? I'm in Adelaide. Oh, you're in Adelaide. Okay, cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh. One of my uh, master supervisors wrote a novel out of his thesis. His PhD thesis. Yeah. Was it a? Did anybody read it? I don't know. Okay. Don't think so. I didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, because that one that was my question. <laughs> what is? What, uh, I mean, yeah, was that, how is that a? How do you define a successful yeah, novelist? Yeah. Exactly. I don't think I don't think it was ever successful. I think it was just to sort of get rid of some work, get get something off his system. Yeah, yeah. but that's not the definition of successful novelist. I didn't know you were trying to become successful. Well, I mean, <laughs> his point was if you want to leave academia, then you have to become a successful novelist or author. But then again, unless you have an income, unless you have sure. money in the lots of money in the bank or a rich aunt or something. Yeah, uh, I was thinking. Well, if I had to start a new life at this point in time. It would have to be, you know, have to. I'd have to be able to to pay the bills and survive on it. And uh, so, it, it's it's improbable. It's not that there are not that many people who start fairly late in life doing fiction. And you know, Ricky Gervais was is an example of someone who had an office job for many years, and then in his forties, I think, or late thirties. He cracked TV, but uh, the, the there aren't comedian? that many Rickies out there. You mean the, the comedian Ricky Gervais? Ricky Gervais, yeah. Right. yeah. I'm not sure how many academics. Th there must be some examples who I seem to remember Ruth Benedict 
was a, a poet, uh, or a, yeah, I think she was she was a poet before becoming an anthropologist, very late in life. Well, the book on Japan was pretty fictional, so <laughs> no, that's that's a burn. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I was thinking maybe that's a question for for both of of you. Is it easier to be than a successful novelist or author, or, or and a successful academic? Does it seem very different? Um, based on very different metrics and achievements. Yeah, and I think it's very hard for uh, well for us to define what, what what a successful novelist is. I mean, of course, we can talk about how much or how many books a novelist sells, but it's you know I think and it's also what what Jonathan said before. You know, if someone just need, needs to get that novel out of some, of, of his system or her right. system then that could be a success as well, right? Mm. I mean, at the moment, I feel like I've got this one novel that I've been working for the last seven years, and I don't know if it's ever going to be finished, but I think it will be a very beautiful, successful day for me when I finish that novel. It doesn't matter whether there's a publisher who wants it or not, but I think for me, that would be a success, just finishing this thing mm -hmm. that right. I've been trying to write for for seven years. And and what is it, and maybe this is more for John, but what is it that you need to get out of your system that is not possible to get out of your system when writing academically or even just professionally? Is it just a fictional <laughs> part that allows you to, to say things that you think, but you have no way of grounding on or... I think with with me, academic writing became so monotonous and so predictable. The cycle is relentless. Right. You you're always running behind a, de a, a deadline. Yeah, sure. Uh, there are three or four things that you should have submitted but you haven't. Mm -hmm. So by the time you've submitted, say, three of the four, there are three more waiting to be submitted. Three more deadlines coming up. Uh, so I've been doing that for 18 years. Right. I, I got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. It's like one of those, you know, these movies scenes where someone says, I can't do this th anymore. And I did they, not they sign up whatever. for this. Or something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they, drop the, they drop the tool they're using, whatever they're doing, they, they f*** off. Yeah. Uh, that's how I felt a few months ago. I felt I can't keep churning out these academic publications that then six or seven people will read. Uh, even though, I, I think what keeps us in academia is that for many of us, the practice itself is quite rewarding. But once you've done something like that for 18 years nonstop, <laughs> at least in my case, I got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. But well, at least I needed a break. Yeah, I could, you why, know, I, I, why I, I, would you have to keep doing That's something that puzzled me because I, I imagine myself doing this right now because I need to get a job and so I need certain yeah. number of publications. But I heard more senior scholars who were just like, okay, I've done that. Now I'm publishing a paper every two years and that's it. Maybe I'm writing a book or, or doing something that I like. But what, what kept yes, you in the pressure I think of... That, that makes sense. The pressure is... I suppose what happened in my case is that I really enjoy traveling so it became a lifestyle of going somewhere to give a paper, give a seminar, be part of a conference. Right. And then event inevitably there'd be a, a special issue or a book yeah. or something coming out. And <laughs> very often I felt I, I didn't want to let people down. So I thought, okay, I'll, 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 do this. I'll do these five or six things. I'll be okay. It's just five or six per year. But it ends up being a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the person you, those senior academics you mentioned, that model makes a lot of sense to me. It makes much more sense once you've reached a certain level in your career to, to, to cut down and say, okay, I'm just going to do much less. Uh, but better quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because also, I mean, some when I read the papers by others, I realize that I might as well just read one of them. Because um, then, even in my own papers, I always make the same arguments or with slight right. tweaks and variations, and so that that gets yeah. um, kind of predictable. But how's the yeah. how's the how's on the other way around? So, what what is not as satisfying in in fiction writing, so that you might want to go in academia? And uh, this is not for John. It's for Tito. Maybe, That's for or, Tito. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose I can compare it with um, journalism, which is you know it. Had, uh, I, I was a journalist for many many years, um, and at the same time when I was working as a journalist, I was also writing my novel, and now I'm trying to be an academic. Um, 
And I think with journalism, you you do get. I mean, it's hard for me to make these arguments because at the moment, I feel like um, I just love writing, and there are all these different forms of writing, and there are right. all these different forms of getting into, you know, the nearest that we can to what we can call the truth, right? Mm. And um, I think fiction is a different mode to journalism, and ac- academia is a different model. Um, and I have to say, often at the moment. I feel like now is the time where I'm trying to combine all these different voices that I have in my head, you know, the voice of the journalist, the voice of uh, the creative writer, the the voice of the actor, uh, the voice of and and the voice of someone who's doing a PhD at the moment and trying to, you know, at least harmonize a little bit, you know, among all these different voices. I don't. I don't think that's a satisfactory answer to your question. No, no. But I, think I mean, I, I'm just curious because yeah. I, I feel uh, I feel in many ways uh, close to that. In that writing is, um, I enjoy it, and it's always a matter of moving between different forms and modes of it. But mm. uh, I mean, maybe like yeah, I think yesterday Dino was pretty uh, depressed about writing his dissertation, so he was complaining about the format. So it might be also a matter of you know being stuck in writing academic articles for years or being forced to write uh, 200 pages PhD or just being a journalist for a decade. I don't know. It might be just a matter mm. of the professionalization think, of certain formats. Yeah. I think being able to to able to write in different formats, it's one of the most satisfying thing that yeah. I think people should be able to allow to do, especially academics, who you, mm. when you say, I mean, especially, I don't know, if this applies to all academics, but at least the ones who actually wants to write or at least or talented in writing, not sure if talented, but at least they really have the desire to write, then you should be able to write in different genres and forms that you would like to do. It's not just simply escape. It's the only healthy way to write rather than like... Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the journal article format sentences. is something that you can just fall in if you if you have no writing aspirations, but you just need a framework, then you can just publish, you know, five journal exactly, articles. Exactly, like, mm. like but, that's what I feel like when I write journal articles. Like, when you try to be creative in terms of writing and the editors or the reviewers shut you down, but when you, like, write boring sentences... That seems to be the way to get published. Yeah, it's not but, but there are also other way. There are also other kind of outputs. I mean, I haven't written a lot of that, but you could do, you know, shorter pieces for magazines, and you could do even. There are now, you know, collections of academic fiction writing, um, like science fiction and stuff like that. Maybe it's not recognized, you know, when you go to apply for a job and you put in your CV. But yeah, that might be the main issue. To... I think that's when we move towards what John calls creative writing. I don't know what that exactly is, but yeah. I feel... Why, why is it, it creative? I mean, I just, is it... Uh, I... It's just a name, really. It's just... It, it means, like, you don't need to write... For me, creative writing basically means you don't need to write boring sentences like journal papers. Right. You can write however you like. Broken sentences, weird stuff, doesn't matter. I mean, it's just a way to justify it. I... It's not necessarily an even need to justify it. So it's counterposed Creative writing yeah. itself, I'm finding, it, it, it's its own, of course, social world, uh, field of cultural production that has quite a long history. And I'm beginning to see there's also a bit of a danger that with creative writing that you join the field and you start picking up some of the things that apparently work and that publishers may be interested in. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I, <laughs> I'm trying not to jump from the frying pan into the fire and become too embedded in the creating writing industry or community, if I can use that word, if <laughs> Tito will pardon the use of the word community. Uh, but for me, what's the beauty of creative writing at the moment is that I can just sit down with my pen and paper or send a little email to myself with something completely made up and I can share it with other people uh, and it's it's fun. It's, uh, for, for, for now, because the stakes are quite low, because I'm sim- simply doing it as a, for, as a pastime, as, a, as an experimental thing, uh, it's great. But I imagine that, like any other field, 
the more you want to to be financially rewarded or be recognized the more you have to get into some kind of relentless cycle of of production uh, but I suppose the key is to is not to do the same bloody thing for 18 years in a row. Uh, sure. Next time, if I come back in a future life, I'll try not to do exactly the same things th- for 18 years in a row. Sure, but when you when you say the creative writing scene or community, I don't know what is that. I'm not maybe I'm not familiar with it. It's some specific, I don't know, some specific group of people that do creative writing because I always thought it's just a broad way of saying just. Writing. It's quite massive. It's a, it's a whole industry. Okay. You can do courses. I, I'm doing my second course now. Uh, it's you know there are masses of websites and blogs and so on, magazines. So it, it's it's a very social thing. I'm really enjoying it. You go to these events and you share your writing. You listen to what other people are are working on. Uh, it's great. And I think going back to what Dino was saying. Uh, there's more diversity, there are more options to do your own thing, which is not the case with academia. Right. Academia, if you want to stay in academia and get a job, there are certain ways in which you're supposed to write. Yeah, I mean, I, I figure probably in academia, writing is not the point. Like You have to write in order to make your argument or be... Uh quotable yeah. or stuff like that but creative writing if that's how it works it seems more of a practice of like music or stand-up comedy or whatever yeah. just you go you read and you share hmm. and i think because it, and, um i teach writing I, i teach writing for journalism right and you know every now and then you'd read um a first year uh you know who's done this uh just beautiful story that i can't explain why it's beautiful you know and i think i mean i i, I love writing i love the craft of mm-hmm. writing i love learning all those little techniques that a lot of these creative mm-hmm. writing groups would be talking about you know like yeah. the ladder of abstraction and those you know like different points of view and those things and i love exploring those um but every now and then you'd come across uh someone who haven't learned all these things and somehow they figured out something else you know a, different, mm. a technique that they have that comes from their individual voice yeah. and that i think you can only do that if you give your, yourself freedom which i think creative writing gives because otherwise in academia like what john said before i mean of course there are different types of uh, academic uh, you know academic fields out there but you know this is what i'm learning at the moment i'm learning the format of a paper yeah, like i'm learning you know this is what you write first this is what you write second this is what you write third um and yeah sometimes if you you know if you do that for 18 years then you just lose that freedom uh, to find your own voice yeah there's a curious paradox with academic writing because i find that you you get better obviously the more you do it and there's a joy to that there's a, there's a certain freedom in the ability to to write academically well and make the thing flow because it's challenging and that's actually helped me with creative writing with fiction writing because so far, I'm finding it easier to write a short story, mm-hmm. uh, a short made-up story, uh, by using the old writing techniques that you use when you do a bit of ethnographic writing or other forms of academic writing. Uh, I'm finding that some of the techniques are, are the same. Uh, but on the other hand, the the advantage of creative writing is that you can do whatever you like. You know, you can do a long dialogue. You can do a dialogue that goes on for three pages. So you can do a bit of a poem uh, and and combine various things and see where it leads you. I mean, of course, you can do that in your ethnographic writing. You can put your sto- stories together. But eventually, there's the pressure to produce journal articles uh, and squeeze out the, the and I've never I mean in my own practice I've never been very ethnographic really for some reason I'm not sure I've always had a tension between the uh, the storytelling and the social theory the social science I've, I've never quite handled that very well right but how how uh, I don't know I mean I've never written extensive fictional stuff um, and I always I always realize that when I write something fictional or that is semi-fictional, I always ground it on things that I experienced or things that other people told me, stories I heard, stuff like that. 
So it's not, of course, it's not ethnographic, but it still has a ground. You, you know, you're writing something you observed or something you heard. It maybe you're twisting it a little bit, but I never, I never feel like I'm writing something fictional. So you are you? Do you work with similar things, or are you actually like just making up stuff from the ground up? Well, in my case, I, I certainly draw on personal experience, people I've known, stories I've heard. And then I, I tend to tweak things. I Often what happens is that I come up with a phrase, I remember a phrase, something that happened, an anecdote, a joke, something like that. And with that little phrase, uh, then that leads towards some open-ended vignette right. that I don't plan. I don't. There's no outline. I just sit down... And and write it the way it normally works. Is I sit down and write a, a twenty-five minute, forty-minute email to myself, mm-hmm. um, and that becomes the little vignette. So it's it's a, it's a very high return on investment so far. Probably because I'm just starting and it's early drafts. Uh, Tito's looking at me saying, "Yeah, wait until you've got <laughs> to the third or fourth draft. It ain't that fun anymore." I think that's yeah. what he's he seems to be. So one thing that's really interesting that I've read. So John has kindly sent me a few chapters of this yeah. uh, creative writing. Uh, this his upcoming spy romantic novel. Yeah, <laughs> um, and. What's really interesting for me is that there's a lot in John's writing, in his creative writing, that is very anthropological. Mm. It's almost like all these years of academic writing was just practice right. for you to write this novel. <laughs> I'm blushing at the moment. Well, why, why not? <laughs> it's not live on TV. But it's just that there's this... And, when, and then John told me about the, the, the process of writing some of the chapters, and you described it as it was quite... I mean, you know, it was it was quite easy, right? It was not easy mm-hmm. in a yeah. you know in a sort of shitty way, but easy and just it, it flows. These little vignettes, these are only um, I don't know three or four hundred words, five hundred words. They come out fully formed. It's mm-hmm. quite weird because my experience with academic writing normally is that it's a painful struggle requiring lots of redrafting before you can put together a, a decent argument. Very sure. seldom have I managed to churn out something that came out fully formed. But with these vignettes, um, they, they write themselves very quickly. And I suppose Tito's writing that I can't help but being an anthropologist, I can't help but using that cross-cultural experience to talk about the, the well, the difference is that I use humor in my academic writing. I've never ever used humor in my entire career, and now all I'm doing is pure. Well, I, I wouldn't say dad jokes, but uh, <laughs> it, it's an attempt at humor, and some of it is apparently okay. It's not too bad right. for a, for a first draft. Uh, so, what a couple of people have said is that it comes across as as if I was actually enjoying it, which is not n- the nor- the sort of feedback you get when you when you do academic writing. Very, I don't think anyone has ever said, "Oh, your academic writing su- comes across as if you were enjoying it." Right? Yeah. No, definitely not. <laughs> no, no. But not is even academic reading. To, sorry, is it possible to bring that back to am- academic writing? Basically, to have like, is it possible to use humor properly in academic writing? I think I've seen it once or twice. It's it's very it's very difficult, but I think it's doable. Uh, there are I can think of this guy in the eighties. What was his name? Brian Mulcahy, I think, who who wrote a book uh, uh, experimenting with sociological writing. And there's also, of course, Mark Hobart, who writes right. some really funny essays. <laughs> Uh, who else writes funny academic stuff? I remember there was an essay that I think Gabriel showed me years ago. It was this um, fictional essay that mocking, a sort of mocking anthropological style describing America. Oh, yeah. Nasirema, oh, yeah. Nasirema, classic, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's more of a sh- very short piece. But I remember I read a lot of humor research, like anthropology of humor, and I remember the one of the books like by the big guy said humor research shouldn't be funny like you should write very serious humor research because otherwise <laughs> if you put a joke in there it's not funny because you're researching it 
So I guess that counts for for a lot of academia. Like you feel you have to be serious, and if you put a joke in I there, I think sadly, that's yeah, that yeah. sums it up. Sadly, I, there's no reason why academic writing shouldn't be funny. Uh, it should be funny. In fact, I think we should, from now on, we should commit ourselves to only writing funny academic stuff. If it's not funny, don't bother. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But well, I, I think, I think it's also a good. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Is that we have no, 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 to go. read all of these papers, uh, and we don't really read them, so we couldn't get the humor because we end up going through them very fast. Because you have to read, you know, the state of the fields. So you have to have fifty papers under your belt to understand a small concept. Right. You can't. Yeah, I mean, it destroys it really. The the writing itself. Yeah. 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 I think it's a matter of uh, the differing. It's not writing. Like what John said, it, I found it super interesting because. He said this vignettes write themselves. And then Tito said that when he read it, he felt like it was anthropological writing, like an anthropologist who practiced for years to then write this novel. And so I thought, all right, so shouldn't this be anthropological writing? Why are we writing the other thing that's boring, non-humorous? And who decided that that's the output? If it's so, like, if you have to struggle to write a paragraph and to, to I make it right. I think we've been we we've been conned all along. There's no reason why we should be writing dry, boring stuff. Great. I don't know <laughs> where can, it started. We're, I don't know if it was Malinowski or Franz Boas or Margaret Mead who started it, but it ain't funny. That's what I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, I know. But also, those were very different times, right? You could go on field for decades and then write one book. And yeah, we go, go home. We and, can't it, afford to do that anymore. In glory, but today you can't. Like, I'm sure they would write humorous diary entries and, and letters to each other. Do you find like I find like a lot of these? For me, what I suppose is most fun writing that are these. For example, I was reading uh, Rabino's uh, book, Accompaniment. Yeah. The the first chapter of the book is basically a. a talking like stories about gears uh-huh. how this person is lazy and doesn't do stuff and has like maids um really? doing everything wow. for him that's savage <laughs> stuff like it's it's like a personal attack like uh um he says like i have this friend uh just american journalist doesn't know indonesian um but just goes around to learn words from the streets but gears doesn't even do that <laughs> <laughs> so like um, this sort of, I mean, I really, I think I enjoy reading when people be able to sort of write in that way. Of course, that goes back to their theories as well. But like, I, I think for me, anthropology, for me, it's not like it's, it's a way of attacking theory. Being able to, I don't, I don't know if I used the is, is, review is the right word, but like. This is the working of theory, like... Well, I mean, I guess we're talking about anthropological writing because it's already the most, the freest among all other disciplines. Mm. I mean, you couldn't write this kind of stuff in sociology or even mm-hmm. cultural studies, I don't know. But I, I was wondering, with, going back to the vignette that John was talking about, that it writes itself mm. versus the, the paper that doesn't write itself because you have to make an argument. Mm-hmm. But then, so what do you what what are you making in the vignette? Does it have an argument, or does it work as a part of a bigger argument of your novel, or you don't have an argument? I, and I think the beauty at this point of my process, which is as I said, early days, it's my I'm into my third or fourth month, so right. I'm very much a, a false beginner. Uh, I feel like a false beginner. Uh, I think at this point, there's no because there's no plan, there's no overall outline of the novel I'm hoping that eventually these little self, self-contained vignettes will add up to something or at least that if I do say I write 40 or 50 of these uh, that perhaps 20, 30 are, are usable and add up to something, add up to a, a, a narrative or they could end up being a collection of short stories I, I don't know yet but the the freedom of it is that all you have to do is sit down and write for 40 minutes. And if you haven't finished it, that's fine. It's still <laughs> the beginning of something. That The feedback I'm getting, I've had feedback from about 40 people now, uh, which is the advantage of going to these creative writing courses and also boring your friends and family with your vignettes. Right. That you get a lot of feedback. The feedback I'm getting is, oh, I want to read more. What happens next? 
because all the all the all I'm doing is setting off on various adventures, but not quite finishing. Whereas when you do that with academic writing, it's it's not the same because there's always this looming deadline. Right, right. And right. if it's a special issue, for example, or an edited volume. You can't let people down. You've got to come up with the goods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But do, do you feel yeah, but that you're like that? These vignettes are making a point that it's you have inside you some way, but you would not be able to articulate to determine that strictly as in an academic framework. But in this way, you can just write, I don't know, a dialogue that makes a point that you always thought about. And in this way, I think so. I think there's out. some kind of dream process going on. Uh, if there is such a thing as a subconscious, I'm certainly not aware of why suddenly, to give you an example, yeah. one of the vignettes rehashes an old Spanish joke. It's a joke about the guy who goes to the confessional and he goes, eh, Padre, Padre, vengo a confesarme, soy un pirómano. Uh, tú no eres un pirómano, tú eres un hijo de puta. Uh, he's, burning, he's burning the priest's habits. So to translate the joke, this guy goes, this Catholic guy goes to the confessional and say, Father, fa Father, I'm here to confess, I'm an arsonist. And the father goes, you're not an arsonist, you're an asshole, because he's actually burning the black habits of the priest. This is a very old joke that is Spanish it burning people, because of uh, like the the sin. The arsonist is actually physically oh. he's pulled out a lighter, okay. and he's uh, the 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 habit has caught fire. So okay, the okay, poor okay. bugger, the poor priest, has run for his life and uh, what for the fire extinguisher. So this is a very old joke that someone must have told me. Decades ago, and my friends and family knew it. But what I did was, okay, let's take this little joke uh, and turn it into a little story, um, build something around it, right. uh, and that's what the freedom of creative writing allows you to do. You can pull out uh, an ancient joke that wasn't even that funny in the old days, and do something with it. That may or may not work. I, I've no idea how many of these things will work, but I'm having a great time. I can honestly tell you, I haven't had so much fun uh, for years. That's great. Yeah, and I think that's the key, isn't it? Because, you know, why write if it doesn't inspire you or challenge you? I mean, you know, I if I'm trying to write a funny scene for my work in creative writing, I try my best to make myself laugh you know if i'm not laughing then yeah you know i'm not i'm not, not going to be able to make anyone else laugh you know so and if i want to write a sad scene then i try my best to go okay i really really need to feel this i really need to be sad when i write this you know so but and i think that's what creative creative writing does right because it's all about emotions as well mm. yeah Yeah, well, I don't, I don't remember who, but I remember reading this quotes about how the joke is the smallest anthropological essay or something like that. So I guess mm. it could be a back and forth between starting with a joke and expanding it into something else, mm. trying to figure out. This, uh, um, that makes me think of Maurice Bloch. Maurice Bloch has a book, uh, a collection of his essays. And there's some funny little stories in there, anecdotes from the field that he then turns into an essay. So there's great potential for uh, creative essay writing within anthropology. I'm sure you can all think of examples. The one that springs to mind is Maurice Bloch, mm. to me, uh, of little stories that turn into a, a reflection, a, a, yeah. a theoretical discussion. But mm. it, it follows from that anecdote. That's rather than a full-length journal article with, mm. like, quoting various theories, I, I would rather just write, like, being able to just write and flesh out what I want to say. And But I don't know, maybe maybe Tito has a, uh, a view on this, but I, I was thinking of, uh, we're talking about anthropological, ethnographic uh, approaches, but probably journalism has a similar kind of thing, right? Like, even in journalist writing which is very different from academic writing but the, the basic of you know talking to people and observing stuff and reporting on stuff is actually hmm. parallel to that right so no i think with journalism i mean you have the institutional voice as well right so right. i used to work in a few uh different media institutions and uh one of them in australia we used to 
be quite proud to be called boring but worthy. Mm. You know, it's and you know if you read uh, a lot of newspapers, you know, there's this certain voice, this certain institutional voice that is, you know, it's all about facts. It's all about facts. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that I really find interesting in Australia is that a lot of journalists are not comfortable calling themselves storytellers. Mm. I think this is different to the US, and that's why they have. You know, podcasts like Radio Lab and This American Life, you know, because they, they, they're sort of the boundaries between what a storyteller is and what journalists are. I think it's a little bit more blurred in the US. But I think in, in Australia, a lot of journalists see themselves. I mean, I used to not want to be called a journalist, I used to call myself a reporter. Because I, I, you know, I saw myself as a reporter so, of facts. Yeah, I'm not a storyteller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but then the other interesting thing is when journalists talk to each other we ask each other oh what story are you working on right you know and so but so there is this acceptance as yeah we are working on stories and in you know australia we say oh that's a cracking yarn you know like you know there's, there's this thing that yeah that's that's amazing storytelling but i think these days probably there's a little bit more experimentations in journalism especially with multimedia journalism we're also realizing i think that people want to be entertained and people love those i mean look at uh, those podcasts uh, that, uh like uh, what's that thing i'm thinking of s town you know amazing storytelling um and it's so successful and people listen to this and netflix you know mm. people love the, the stories the documentaries on netflix you know it's amazing to see people mm. talking about these documentaries on netflix it's like well yeah wow people want good stories well told yeah, sure, sure. I, I guess podcasts and documentaries are a pretty good example of like kind of a, mm. when you have a platform that can provide this kind of stuff, people actually are happy to watch and uh, consume. Yeah, because this is one thing that I always find interesting. You know, we're supposed to be very, very busy and we don't have time for entertainment. But if you look at the most popular entertainment, that you know, forms of entertainment that people talk about these days, it's like you know, uh, TV series. A game, computer games that take you know sixty hours just to finish the main quest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know it's there. You need a lot of time to be to engage with this forms of entertainment. I feel like I don't have time to. I used to like playing computer games, but now it's just like I don't have time. You know, and, but these are the the types of entertainment that people love. You know, good stories and entertaining stories. Right. So are you are you doing a PhD right now? I am. Okay. And and is it <laughs> is it deep that out? Are we? <laughs> no, I, I'm just curious how this relates. I mean, are, are you doing a PhD about creative writing that will be academic writing about creative writing, or will you be allowed to do creative writing as an output? How does this? Um. Well, I wanted to do a PhD on storytelling, somehow something about storytelling. Um. And so I actually thought about, you know, what's the most powerful form of storytelling that I can tell? And I'm from Indonesia. So, so then I thought, well, let's do something about Indonesia. And I thought, if I'm talking about storytelling, if I'm talking about Indonesia, the only thing I, can, I could think of when I was thinking about doing a PhD was ghost stories. Mm. Because it's, just, it's just, you know, like a lot, a lot of people go to Indonesia and they go, oh, wow, Indonesians love ghost stories. So at the moment, yeah, I'm doing a PhD about ghost stories, okay. and I'm uh, looking at how Indonesians are sharing ghost stories. So it's more uh, about online. looking into storytelling practice. Yeah, but it, this is the interesting thing sure. because this is what I'm learning about academia. It's sort of like, well, if I'm if I'm doing an anthropological study about this storytelling, then I have to follow what other people have written about storytelling in anthropology. But then there are all these other interesting things, you know, in other sort of academic fields and. And at the moment, I'm sort of even looking at all these different ways of telling stories, academic stories about ghost stories, mm-hmm. um, sure. and trying to sort of find my, uh, this will sound so cliche, but, you know, find my own story within all these different stories about, about ghost stories. That sounds so meta. I yeah, know, it's very crazy. meta. I, I think it's interesting <laughs> that we're, we have this kind of uh, contrast between this story I mean, many different meanings of story, but like storytelling and then in creative writing, you tell a story and you, or you tell stories and you, as a journalist, you you also mm. accumulate stories. And on the other is arguments um, of like academic writing is often thought in terms of you make an argument and then you argue with people, you attack people, you just use your stories to do something else. So it feels like maybe creative writing is a bit more, you know, you focus on the story, you don't really care about the argument 
argumentative part of it? Does it make sense? Or there's creative um, nonfiction oh. writing. Okay. Uh, I'm actually taking a course <laughs> as part of my midlife uh, crisis. I'm also going to look at what people mean by nonfiction uh, creative writing. So what would that I be? I understand. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe Tito knows better. Uh, as far as I can uh, see, it has to do with how to be an academic who writes stuff that people will want to read. Right. I'm guessing yeah, that's yeah. what it boils down to. I think it's a really wide... I mean, there are all these different forms of creative nonfiction, right? Because... Um, Helen Garner in Australia is quite well known for her creative nonfiction. You know, writing uh, nonfiction but using fictional techniques from you know novels mm. and yeah, which basically is good writing, right, good right, entertaining right, yeah. writing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. So it's kind basically. of interesting. Yeah, but also I discovered this form called uh, the lyrical essay, which is quite fun as well. And, you know, it's it's got almost like freestyle sort of writing. What is Exploring it? ideas. So it's almost, it's... Lyrical essays. Lyrical essay. Yeah, it's, so it's like essayistic, po- poetic, um, and it's sort of, it's exploring an idea. It's trying to make an argument, not, uh, you know, not sort of, you know, uh, premise one, premise two, and, you know, and, you know, combining, but it's sort of like, okay, what's my idea? What are the words? What are the the, the sound of the idea and mm. trying to you know express that through words yeah. so it's kind of fun um and i think yeah this is you know going back to what we were talking about before and i mean writing for the writers should be fun right yeah sure i i, I totally i think we all agree i mean i think the problem is that who evaluates writing because we you know you say creative writing or that i mean it should be good writing but then it doesn't really matter if writing is good at some point because you depends what you need to do with it. So, hmm. you know, for if, if you're writing for work, then you need either need to get some kind of impact factor or you need to convince a government department of something or you need to uh, publish in a newspaper and be uh, controversial and, uh, I don't know, make an impression on Twitter or something like that. So there's like a boundary between good writing like the one you can we all hope to enjoy and then the writing we need to do and who Mm. who evaluates it and who makes these parameters yeah yeah and also this is just something uh that i experienced last night i um met a good friend who's uh, an investigative journalist right and you know she's an amazing journalist she writes amazing stories but one thing that i realized uh was that for her, a lot of the stories that she writes are just, you know, like stories that she churns out, mm-hmm. you know, and just every now and then, maybe, you know, one or two stories, you know, she, she comes up with something that's really inspiring even for her. You mm-hmm. know, so I think, yeah, that you're right. I think even for some of the best investigative reporters, you know, most of the time it's a little bit boring. <laughs> mm. As soon as you call something your job, it becomes automatically boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's best not to call it your job. Mm. Calling. By calling. <laughs> I, th- I think also that one one person's good writing is another person's bad writing. I think when I was writing up my thesis, I would show my writing to like three different people and get three different <laughs> versions, depending on the background and what people were used to reading. So... Mm-mm. How does that yeah. fit? That that it's also about the expectations people have. Yeah, I don't know if anyone is a part of a a, a book club here. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> you know no. this thing. I've I've started a book club last year, and it's you know re, we read the same novel and then we discuss it. And yeah, John, you're right. It's I we stopped doing that because we realized it's actually not really that fun mm-hmm. when when we're dealing. You know, when I mean it's kind of fun as well when you don't agree with someone. But it's sort of like I want to read this novel. And I just want to love it, and I don't have—I don't want to have to justify why I love it. <laughs> and that's what happens in book clubs, right? Because what, what is book club? Is like a reading reading group, like you read a book and you talk yeah. about it, or yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's basically it. So yeah, I mean, in in that process, yeah, I guess we uh, we did uh, we did some reading groups, and I still belong to one then, but they're, they're just academic stuff, so it's really dry. It's just a very utilitarian. You know, we read a chapter each, and then we just make a summary, and then we read a book. You know, it's it's, it's just mm. uh, accumulating literature that Josh was talking about, but it's not 
about enjoying a, a novel together or something like that. So I suppose what Tito is saying is that the algorithm culture is, is right, is the way forward. Don't do a book club because you'll come across people who, who hate your favorite book. Right, right. Just sure. let the algorithm f <laughs> help you find like-minded people who love the same novel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's an element in a lot of this. There is there's this fan mentality, which is a very human thing. Of course, we want to love something and be surrounded by others who e love it equally. I've I've had this with uh, with The Office, for example, the original The Office UK, that I assumed everybody loved as much as I did, mm. but then it turns out a lot of people <laughs> hated it. <laughs> there's someone in the early days of The o Office UK. I was. Uh, a uh, born again office uk i've never been a fan of anything until the office came along and um then i discovered that some people bloody hate it because it reminds them of the, their own office life mm. and they've seen it all before it doesn't tell them anything um so i guess that happens when you don't listen to the algorithm and hang out with people who are different <laughs> from you I suppose we need to do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was talking about the algorithm stuff. Have you have you guys read? Um, I forgot the name of the author. There's a book called Uncreative Writing. I think it's. Uh, do you know that book? Uncreative. Yeah. No. No. Um, I think it's by this U.S. guy who does a lot of experimental literature, and that's all about generative, um, yeah, algorithms and data and ways of uh, churning out stuff that's totally uncreative, and then it can inspire new new ways of composing uh, mm. out of them ah. but i think it's we've done something a bit similar in the first creative writing course i did okay. the teacher would give us three or four uh, sets of three or four random words unrelated words and then we had to come up with a little story five or ten minutes yeah, exercises yeah, yeah. writing writing a little thing and it's fantastic i remember having to do one about i don't know blue parrot and uh, purple sky and uh, orange umbrella or something uh and it's funny it it's it made me laugh because I had no idea there was a story inside right, me, a right. completely made-up story, waiting to come out about a, a blue parrot and a, an orange umbrella. Uh, so I think those random inputs uh, can can be really exciting. Yeah, I think it's Kenneth Goldsmith. I don't want to say uh, something uh, horribly wrong, but I think he has a book called Uncreative Writing. And he's the same guy that set up um, Ubu Web, like the website where they put a lot of uh, free books. You know, he did a lot of artwork. A lot of his artwork is basically transcribing. He transcribed yeah, he, he's a poet, for right? a poet and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I quoted him in my thesis. Okay. But, yeah. Is he any good? Um, he, he talks about a lot about boredom. That's why I read him. Is his stuff and yeah, because it's, it's that school of like generative poetry, like of just uh, putting stuff together and creating this like poems mm -hmm. of automate, yeah. automate, automated, yeah. automatic writing kind right. of stuff. But I think the the strategies in there might be interesting, and and I, mm -hmm. I, I find it interesting that there is like creative writing, this thing called massive creative writing circles and scenes and economies, and then he he wrote a book called Uncreative Writing, which was probably taking a jib at all of this, but also kind of the same thing really. Yeah, and meanwhile we have all this. Sorry, uh, yeah. Meanwhile we have all these creative writing groups, um, and if you look at them on Facebook and all these creative writing instructors who are basically the other extreme, they say, "Write whatever." You know, you can be a writer. Just find your own unique voice. You know, so I think in in a way that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. But you know, sometimes you push it too much to the other extreme, and people are also like, "Well, you know, I want to." write something that other people can enjoy which is yeah yeah that's it kind of reminds me i'm not familiar with the creative writing scene so it might be not exactly the same but it reminds me a little bit of music experimental music scenes in mm. which the the rhetoric is always you know whoever you are an outcast you never studied music you you have no idea how to play any instrument just do whatever record whatever and that's good or just come play live and make whatever noise and they're, you're great right and this is one part of the, the rhetoric and then you're like, oh, that's great. But then when you go behind the scenes, there's like crazy taste, distinction, politics that people are like, oh, that's that's garbage, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, uh, it's not, it doesn't, it's not good, it's boring. So there's always this tension between the, 
mm. optimistic uh, idea of just write whatever, and then there's you know still there are still ideas about what's good creative mm. writing and what's not good creative writing. Uh, I think that really my experience is is limited, but it really resonates. Uh, it rings bells with what I've experienced. There's a difference between the supportive group that helps you, that's very positive about your first attempts at putting something together yeah and what happens informally when you're talking one-to-one with someone and nobody else is around you right. really tell that person what you think about yeah, other yeah. people uh that i i suppose that's a that's a universal the whenever there is a, a group think and uh, normative ideology uh as soon as you step out of that you find this there's a lot more going on mm. i actually know an um an australian uh, artist who um, made a conscious decision to move to another country because she, she just thought Australians are too polite. She's not getting the right sort of criticism for her work. So she actually had to move somewhere else to go, you know, I want a place where people can be harsher. You know, so she went to uh, France. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be plenty of that. Sounds about right. Yeah. Dino probably agrees with that. that move. <laughs> But but in your because uh, you're not I mean I'm just curious because you're not in anthropology I guess maybe you're a bit no. in social science or in political science right or yeah, international yeah. relations I don't know exactly but uh, yeah it's it's basically poli sci and uh, you can I I think all the complaints about not being able to write beautifully and you had a point earlier about anthropology kind of being at the at the edge of that distinction like you're you're still wedded to being a scientist more or less but you're kind of the like the insane cousins of our uh, (laughs) social science family basically and you're i mean anthropologists are very lucky that way because in political science there's always this pull back to you know what are the variables uh and if you happen to write a good paragraph it it has to somehow tie back to the table that you're going to present at the end right. with all of uh, your data in it. So I think that's something that it's so it's so far away from creative writing that I don't have that kind of bleed in. So it's it's interesting that anthropology seems to sound somewhere in between and the stuff that I've read is like that, I guess. Like you you, you almost set it up, yeah, like journalism. It is very close. I've had a couple of encounters with political scientists uh, doing fieldwork in two different countries, and the reaction was always, was in both cases, the same. It was the political scientist saying, but uh, what are you doing? You don't seem to know what you're doing, what your variables are, what your key concepts are. And in both cases, they were right. I had no idea what I was doing. I was muddling through... I was following my research participants, the usual fieldwork process. And I find that there's a very similar logic going on when you do uh, uh, creative writing, at least my experience so far, is that you just get on with it. It's a process of discovery. And you follow your characters as opposed to your research participants. At mm-hmm. least that's how I'm surviving my, my first <laughs> endeavours. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to see it. I want this romantic idea of the explorer uh, charting new territory, which obviously has serious colonial connotations. I do apologise. Uh, <laughs> but the... It's it's a bit like that. Do you remember that sociologist uh, Chick Send Me High in Chicago who wrote about creativity, the idea of flow theory, and he talks about the difference between a problem finder and a problem solver. And I think in field work we have this problem finding logic whereby you go into the field. And you're not quite sure what the problem is. You need a bit more time to figure out what the problem is. And at that point, if you speak to a political scientist, they think uh, you're either mad or, the, or more, more particularly, the people who are funding you are mad yeah, to probably. fund you. Remember once in Malaysia, someone asking me, a political scientist saying, but you don't, saying, you don't even know what you mean by governance. You're using this concept <laughs> of governance, but what do you actually mean by it? And I confess I had no idea what I meant by governance. It was just that local people, the uh, ICT people I was working with, they were using the notion of governance. 
Yeah, but I think so. That's that's the point, right? That Josh, you said you don't even feel this tension and problem because creative writing and political science or other disciplines, I guess, it's so far from what you're supposed to do that if you wanted to do it, you could just do it on the side, right? Because yeah, I'm I'm an academic and I do some creative writing, like mm-hmm. as I do, I I cook and I do some music and stuff like that. Yeah. But but maybe in anthropology because it's so potentially close to it yeah that uh but it's not because it gets you know stuck in those very uh tight formats of writing that then you you feel like why am not am i not doing that and could i yeah well i guess you know you can do it you can pretty much do what you want you can i was thinking about the politics of this whole thing right right uh, about practical things that we could do to move towards a slower academia i mean that's a mass uh, it's a massive topic but it could be we could leave it for for a future discussion right but i think we need to i was thinking this morning that how can it be that tens of thousands of intelligent academics around the world are running around churning out publications that in many cases won't be cited or they may be read quickly? Mm-hmm. There's something severely dysfunctional about academia. Uh, and I don't think we're doing enough. We we sort of take it for granted that that's the way things are. But we're not doing enough practical things about it or political things. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it was part of my, one of my questions before, I guess. But it's its like, at what level should those things be done? Because I'm not writing, you know, five journal articles a year because I really want to. Right? I, I could just write mm-hmm. one and I'd be happy without yeah. publish it and then look right. at it. So where is this being enforced right what is this and i know the answer i found it difficult down the years to say no to a a, a nice email from someone i know and you want to be part of something so you end up spreading yourself out too thin that's another factor i think that we tend to i suppose what i'm saying is not just about the managerial class or global capitalism it's it's more concrete than that it's about things that we we don't even realize we're doing and i'm i'm now trying to become more aware and trying to say okay do i really need to go to five conference five events a year or 10 events a year can i just go to two or three or cut down the the output uh, but why don't we do that earlier why does it t- have to take so long <laughs> before we realize right i'm I'm working long hours. I shouldn't really be working. Well, I, I, mean, I don't think we should be working more than five or six hours a day. Intellectual work shouldn't be more than four or five hours a day. Right. Three hours a day. I, I, Why I th- not two? I mean, I think the, the, <laughs> the obvious well, answer... That's what the university thinks, right? Right. <laughs> but I think the obvious answer to that is that it's pretty much like the art world where you need, you feel that you need to be present at any time at all these events and to be included yeah. in the last edited issue and to be friends with that editor and blah blah exactly but um but so this is i mean i realized this when i wrote some articles for magazines that paid me and i was like okay i've wrote two thousand words and i got paid you know a decent amount of money why am i writing eight thousand word articles for journals that are making money out of my articles and i'm not you know i'm not getting paid i don't even have a position at the moment like i could probably accept it if i had a a salary mm-hmm. so okay that's part of my job to to write but when i'm not why am i doing it right and uh, i know the answer but it's it's just like the there is kind of a system it's that, highly exploitative yeah and we're all part of it and particularly more senior academics uh, are part of it because they were exploited when they were junior so it's not in their interest to rock the boat mm. but do you I'm think it was hugely but <laughs> Uh, it's not. I, I'm saying it's not some external agent. We're, we're all in it together. Well, uh, to to some extent, I don't think that for you know a couple of generations ago it was the same because I don't think that there was this pressure to publish. You could you could do your PhD, get a job, and then you know after five ten years publish a book, and that would be a big book, and that's it. So when I hear other older academics that tell me you know you have to work it out, you have to you know just publish more be present i kind of know that that's not what they did right it it was not exactly that it didn't work that way or it wasn't as competitive or as pressuring and like grinding as it is today so there might be like a disconnect between the experiences of uh, different generations but 
So it's a big topic for a future event, I suppose, sure, future discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but I agree with John. I think, you know, that question of, you know, what can we do now mm -hmm. is, you know, what what now is I think that's... And, but, you know, you, you talk to academics and they're just too tired to think about what they can do because they have to write, you know, that book and five other papers and teach at the same time. So, yeah. So I guess I, I feel it was a very, very uh, good discussion. I don't know if we went in the direction that uh, all of you expected. I didn't really know what we were going to talk about. <laughs> was but... there a direction? <laughs> no, the, the, there wasn't. But uh, I think uh, you mentioned uh, you want to talk about writing. Okay. so. Yeah, it was real. Yeah. You know, we did actually mostly talk about yeah, writing, yeah. I think. Mm. We did well, yeah. Cool.